Welcome back to another edition of The Daily Disruptor. I'm your host, Adam Burnett, and with me, as always, the founder and CEO of Running Alpha, Mr. Ephraim Hoffman. We have a lot of good information in store for you today. First, we touch on the stocks that we've mentioned in previous episodes. We're going to be going into the trader mindset during this time of volatility. And then we're going to go in depth into cryptocurrency grading and what makes one coin a better investment option over another. Now, keep in mind, this podcast is for informational purposes only. Anything mentioned here should be discussed with your licensed investment advisor. Enjoy. Many episodes ago, we were saying that the market was going to rally. 500 point move in the S&P at least, and we kind of got that. So what should traders do now? I mean, any smart money trader would know that when you get a move like that, even if you think it's going higher on individual stocks, there's always a chance of people like taking profits and, and also considering the fact that there's a lot of issues going on in the world right now, big money traders are really looking at putting their money into uh, into gold and silver, I think, and moving assets away from uh, riskier investments. So especially when there could be volatility. And like we had an episode before saying that, hey, you know, until the June period is up, expect volatility. That doesn't mean the market crashes. It just means volatility. Big moves up, big moves down. But since they're up so much, nobody wants to give away the profit. So smaller traders will look more towards just opportunity. Oh, the market's been up a lot. What could I buy? It's the same things we've been talking about. You want to continue buying biotech, like the IBB, uh, which is the biotech index uh, ETF. You want to continue buying the silver ETF. You want to continue buying the GDX, which is the senior golds. You want to continue buying those kind of things and 5G technology stocks, like anything that's going to benefit from the blockchain, which is like NVIDIA, stocks like that. And there's a few others in tech as well that would benefit that entire um, idea. But the point is, when you're in volatility, you've got to be a trader. You've got to be a trader. What exactly does that mean? You just got to realize, hey, put on your shorter term timeframes, even though there could be longer term trends in those individual areas, which there are. But if there's some volatility that comes in, then go put your indicators on and go buy at those levels that are important. So, for example, in the past uh, few days, there were some there's definitely some volatility in some names. Silver is giving an opportunity along with the gold to uh, buy in at attractive areas. So the way I see this, this is the way I've been seeing it the whole year, is that we're setting up for a really, really, really big move to the upside. And it really looks interesting. Somewhere in the June or July period going in there, there could be some events that provide some serious opportunity to be positioning for uh, silver and gold, which is why I think it's a good idea to own a core position there. And then August, into the end of August, there should be some very interesting activity from July in the uh, gold and silver space. So I think that's where a lot of the money, you're going to see some repositioning going and some people maneuvering and just holding a little bit of cash so that they could buy some things at lower levels. But the thing is, the lower levels may not come because 
we have all this money printing. The Fed is like pretty much adamant in terms of buying up anything that's going down. So even if you get some liquidation from some of the big hedge funds, just to take some profit and to, and to kind of reposition into other sectors, which we call sector rotation, it still looks like there's going to be that underlying Fed put, which means like a bid into the market that's going to kind of hold it up. So if there is any kind of significant selling on an intraday basis, it's just going to be bought up and not just by them, but by professional traders as well. And it's a pretty short term thing. And then we get into a phase in the year where there's going to be another big rally in those areas. So I would say stick with stick with tech, but buy on But you have to be a trader right now. And but silver and gold and biotech, that's a little bit different. That one, well-established trends, uh, at least in biotech and in silver and gold, it's about to really become interesting. So and we'll talk about, you know, levels more at that time. Yeah. So that's kind of what I see in the uh, in the general market right now. Ephraim, I, I know you love to do these uh, sort of data dumps uh, where you get really impassioned about a, a specific subject. You had mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about some of the cryptocurrencies. Yeah, there's definitely uh, some activity, a lot of activity that has been going on. Like a number of the, uh, a few of the coins that we actually uh, were looking at here at the Daily Disruptor, one of them we actually mentioned on a uh, prior show, and that was the uh, Theta Network. And it's made up of two coins uh, that are associated. You got basically Theta. So T-H-E-T-A, and then you all, and that's a token. And then you also have T-F-U-E-L, so T-Fuel. So that's the, the fuel for uh, Theta. And, and those are the two coins that are associated with that network. And we were talking, you know, a while back when it was basically when Theta was, uh, we were saying something about if it pushes into that 15 handle area, uh, it's good as, you know, that would be the launching point and to hold a core position. And it's pushed up into like around 50, the 50 handle. And T-Fuel has pushed from approximately uh, the 27 handle up to the over 250 handle. And I mean, there has been a bit of a pullback from there, but it's still exceptional. I mean, those are like monster gains. It's one of the top performing uh cryptos but at this point it is exceptionally high and but it as a trading market uh it's an exceptional one to trade at this point but you got to know how to trade it so i like looking at some coins that you know have been more well established uh over the time one of the coins that's uh pretty well established is a coin called cardano and the symbol is ADA. What's interesting about Cardano, it's designed like to democratize finance for, emer- for the emerging markets, which is definitely where it's needed because they don't have a lot of banking. Not only is it secure, but it's scalable. Not all kind of uh, frameworks in the blockchain space are very scalable. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them are not super low cost. When they do scale, sometimes they get expensive. This is scalable, low cost in the finance space, in the emerging markets. The other thing is right now, like one of the big issues in in the crypto space 
is regulation. If this is ever going to become democratized, there needs to be some kind of regulatory oversight. It's one of the coins that strongly addresses the need for regulation built into the coin. And how does it do that? By having protocols in there that actually protect consumer privacy, which you can't say about every other coin. So not that there aren't other coins that try to do that, but this one tends to be well balanced. So other than the backstory behind a particular coin, how can you tell whether it's garbage or it has potential in terms of what it does? You know, what separates one coin from exploding in price as to something that turns into a complete waste of time? Usually different cryptocurrencies or tokens or coins, they get graded based on a number of factors. There's a huge number of factors that coins get graded on. Things that are really important when it comes to uh, blockchain projects like Cardano and other ones is, do they have a very strong team? So is there a history that the people that are actually running this very sophisticated and have done good things before? Cardano scores 10 out of 10 in that area. These are It's an extremely academic oriented kind of coin. So some very, very smart people have worked on it. It's not just an afterthought. The other thing that's really important is the, the number of open channels. It's a, this is one of the things that are tracked. So what I mean by open channels, do they have a strong presence in discussion, in real-time discussion boards? So for example, like Slack, like Telegram, or any other kind of uh, real-time communication channel. Because a lot of people in the crypto space come to learn about the value of these coins and what they're doing in their projects through these channels like Telegram. And if they don't maintain that, then it's unlikely you're going to have enough liquidity or interest in the coin to actually make it viable as a trading opportunity. So open channels is very important. This one 10 out of 10. So they have a big presence online. Another thing that's really, really important is GitHub activity. For example, are they very, very active in the GitHub community for developing their products? And how large is their community that's following their software, their open source software projects? So this is a very strongly based open source coin which is another advantage because it allows a lot of developers to actually build on the network, which makes the coin more valuable over time due to networking effects. Another thing that's really important for a coin is what is the strength of their product? Meaning, is it fully functional or is it just in the uh, idea stage? And also, is it open source, which I already indicated that it is. And in terms of this uh, coin, Cardano, it is definitely, it's, it's a functioning thing. I mean, there's always things that they're, they're adding to it that may not be functioning. They may have visions, but pretty much it's it close to 100 as possible. So, and that you can't say that about a lot of coins. A lot, so far, the number of things I talked about are like <clears throat> almost perfect. And then most other coins are not quite there. And if they are there, their vision isn't quite as great. Another thing is, what is the strength of the coin? So how many thousands of transactions could it handle per second? Sometimes you'll see it written down in the, in the boards as like TPS, just means transactions per second. So, And the other thing is, is it a friendly marketplace? 
for the coin. How stable is the coin? Meaning, has it been growing consistently since it's been released to the marketplace? And most coins do not perform well here at all. And especially if it performs well in so many other things I'm talking about, then almost it's pretty rare that it's like right up there. This one's pretty high. Like this one's like an eight out of 10, which is really good. I would say like the cutoff, I'm not interested in things. I mean, it all depends how interesting the project is. And if it seems really undervalued, then I would accept something below a six. And, but here's the interesting thing. The next one I'm going to talk about is one that I don't want to score very high. Because if you want to make a lot of money, you got to make sure that nobody knows. You don't want too many people to know or have caught on to the coin. If a lot of people have caught on to it, maybe the trend, you know, it may, it's not that the trend is over. It's just that maybe the market inefficiencies aren't there. And usually in, in a market, you get rewarded for taking on bull positions when they're inefficient. And they're inefficient when there's fear, uncertainty, or doubt, or alternate possibilities that people were duped into buying and just didn't bother with this company. But the specific uh, fundamental I'm talking about here is the brand awareness. So how large and how active is the community compared to the rest of the market? And there's not a lot of brand awareness on this coin. Now, some people would say, well, that's horrible. Like, where would I rate this? I'd rate it near zero, near zero. And now that's, yeah, you could say, well, that's not good. I mean, if there's no brand awareness, then... Maybe nobody's going to buy it. But with so many other things going for it, and you have to think about it, there's a difference between no brand awareness in the tech space and no brand awareness in the, in the, uh, in the actual buying of the coin space. And one of the fundamentals we talked about earlier was the GitHub activity for open source. And that was like a 9 out of 10. And so there's a lot of people that are definitely aware of the value of building software projects on top of this coin. If that's the case, that means that there's going to be a lot of utility in the future and sources of revenue coming off of this coin, which is going to make the coin more valuable, which people will start noticing the brand as the price starts closing in on that inefficiency. That's some of the main reasons why I like this coin. There are other things to look at when it comes to coins in general. Some things people look at is what is the demand? What's like the network demand on the coin? What's the, the fee structure on the coin when you buy it? Uh, what's the, uh, the network traffic on the coin? And especially if you're dealing with coins that are mined. So if, if you do have a coin that is being mined, then how often does it change hands? So does the miner's inventory change? Does the hash rate change? So basically meaning that, for example, on coins like Bitcoin, for example, we had a halving in Bitcoin. And when there was a halving in Bitcoin, there was less supply produced as a reward for the proof of work for somebody to actually cryptographically solve the difficult problem of factoring a prime number, two prime numbers multiplied together or something to that effect. And the thing is, because people are now getting paid less 
to mine coins, but yet the cost of their equipment that, that they paid for their equipment to mine the coins stay fixed. The electricity costs in terms of trying to crack the code and figure out the actual uh, difficulty of cracking those uh, prime numbers cryptographically takes a lot of computing power. And the more computing power it takes, the more energy it takes. And when that happens, that's a variable cost to the miner. And because of that, one of the big factors is that if they're not getting rewarded as much as they used to, because now they're only given half as much Bitcoin for actually solving the problem, there's going to be a number of people that are going to go out of business. So because some of the miners aren't as efficient at solving these problems. Some of them may not have the equipment that some of the bigger guys have. So they go by the wayside. And then what happens, it slows down the, the throughput of the coin. So the coin no longer is, is, is being processed as quickly. But built into, the, into coins like Bitcoin, for example, they want to maintain it in a stable way so that over time there's a certain number of blocks in the chain that are actually processed in a given unit of time. Now, in order to maintain that at a constant rate, when the halving process takes place and certain people leave the arena and it starts slowing down, they compensate for that by actually making the difficulty of solving, of breaking the code easier. So if it becomes easier to break, then more you could process more blocks and maintain that stability. But the other thing is, there's another alternative. The other alternative is that the miners that are still in the game could choose to spend more money on fixed costs in order to mine coins at a faster rate, keeping the difficulty at the same level. In that situation, it doesn't change necessarily the dynamics of how Bitcoin is going to trade, but it does change the game in terms of people that are trying to make money based on mining the coin because the composition and the demographics of the miners could be more towards the more sophisticated institutional miners that actually have a lot of money behind them as opposed to some of the more retail guys that are trying to get together to try to do the mining. But there are so many new protocols right now, like on different kinds of coins, that some coins don't need to be mined. Like there's proof of work, which is like uh, when you solve these kind of cryptographic things like Bitcoin. But then you've got coins that aren't proof of work. And what you're actually trying to do is they're called proof of stake. And basically you're, you're putting up a stake in order to actually guarantee that something is going to be done. And if it isn't, that's a risk that one of the counterparties are taking in order to, to guarantee the uh, commitment between the parties. But, and then there's so many other ones. I don't want to get into the, the mechanics of all that. But at the end of the day, the point I'm, I'm making here is that there are so many factors and fundamentals that go into why a coin is doing well and why a coin isn't doing well. At the end of the day, if you really want to like break it down outside of those fundamentals I originally talked about, like open channels, team strength, product strength, GitHub activity, coin strength, and brand awareness, when you go to the nitty gritty 
I would say the most important things to look at would be the on-chain metrics. So that basically means that what things could be measured that are happening on the coin, not while it's in a wallet, but while it's on, on the coin. And some of the big things to look at is basically what's the transaction value that's being spent. So it, it'll tell you whether it's it's a big player or a small player, because usually big players follow through on more transactions so they could give you an indication that there'll be more activity in the future. Uh, what's the dollar value of the network fees? And also, what is the, the coin transaction value? And then, of course, the hash rate if you're dealing with something that's uh, where you're trying to solve a cryptographic. So basically, that would be like anything to do with Bitcoin, something like that. And then there are other coins that have other kind of metrics. I don't, I don't want to go into that, but I just want to just get the idea that people that say fundamentals don't apply to Bitcoin or fundamentals don't apply to cryptocurrencies or crypto tokens or crypto coins. And the, all that's involved is just looking at patterns in a chart and 100% emotional. And that's just not, simply not true. There are fundamentals. I would argue that there are, in some cases, a lot more fundamentals that actually could impact Bitcoin in more nuanced ways than what could actually impact the stock. And because a lot of people don't know about this, and they're just basically just looking at trends and just looking at behavioral kind of trading, they're really missing out on some major, major inefficiencies where you could actually put a lot of capital down and hold something for a sizable period of time and then tactically use behavioral analysis and pattern recognition in order to actually understand the movement and flow of, of capital into the chain and out of the chain. When it comes to what we do here at the Daily Disruptor, we're using technology that I developed at Running Alpha, which basically goes way beyond analyzing patterns because patterns constantly change and no matter how far back in history you go. And the thing is, because Bitcoin and all these new coins that are really, really interesting have a very, very, haven't been around for a long time. So it's not like pattern recognition algorithms are going to do you any good unless you actually have a methodology that could actually understand the interaction between different groups of players in the crypto space and, and figure out the term structure of how their perceptions of movement are going to change in the future. Think of it this way. It would be kind of like playing chess against a grandmaster. Would you want to like play chess and basically just look ahead one, two or three moves? Or would you rather look at the chessboard as a configuration, how it would have to be arranged in such a way that no matter how many moves ahead the other opponent looks, they would end up being at a disadvantage if they didn't know that the initial configuration or the evolving configuration of the board wasn't a fair game for them. And if it gets to the point where it's not a fair game, then you have knowledge not to play. Now, it's not quite the same in chess because if you're playing a chess game, if, if it evolves to a configuration where you think you don't have a chance, you're going to lose. But in the markets, it, it actually could work to your advantage. If, if the board 
evolves to a configuration where it looks like you don't have an edge, you exit the market before the market makes you exit. So you always want to be a market maker instead of a price taker. And that's one thing that will separate the smart money from the dumb money. The government, government could manipulate by intervening, printing, and doing all this stuff. We already talked about the fact that Bitcoin is a store of value. It's a store of value because it's a coin that hardly inflates. Like the real inflation of Bitcoin is very, very minor. And then finally, what's good at, because, I mean, you got to remember, there are still new coins that are being minted. They'll never exceed 21 million, but there's new coins being minted as the miners find these things. After 21 million coins, then there won't be any new coins minted at that point. So whenever you're trying to save money, I guess the point I was trying to say is that if you're going to try to save money somewhere, you want to make sure that it's not going to inflate. Because if there's going to be inflation, then the value of that coin is going to go down. In the fiat currency system, the governments want inflation. Like the central banks are there to make sure that there's inflation. Even though they say they're there to, to maintain monetary policy, to keep things in check with growth. If that was the case, then our coin, then the value of our currency should, it should be sound if they're doing a good job. But it's designed to make the currency go to zero. And, and the reason why they want it to go to zero is because if they didn't have inflation, real inflation built into the fiat currencies, there would be no incentive for people to go out and buy. Because if prices are going to be going, if the, if the value of your currency is going to be worthless in the future or worthless tomorrow, then a rational person would spend all their money today for the things that they may need that they may need tomorrow. And the reason why the government does this is because they know that business cycles can't go on forever. But because governments love mishandling and spending money on things that sometimes aren't necessary or just not doing it in a way that the free enterprise system or private enterprise would actually spend money on, and it goes to waste in a lot of cases. And because of that, they know that it's, there's going to come a time in the business cycle where what the actions that they've done could cause a very serious problem in the economy, which is why they continue to print money. So this way, they get rid of the incentive to save your money so that you could just spend your money. And they're hoping that people will spend their money to a degree so that it gets into the economy and hopefully so much gets in that by the time they're done spending it, the economy will just magically do well. But we all know at the end of the day that the only thing that sustains an economy is production that matches demand in the future. If you're just spending money today and taking it away from the future, then there'd be no reason to increase production if nobody's going to be buying in the future if it's all been satisfied in the present. So this is basically a game that central banks play and we all know how it ends. It ended terribly in 1929 and it'll likely end that way again. We're just lucky that there happens to be five or six exponential technology trends with multi-trillion dollar or multi-tens of trillion dollar runway for the foreseeable future that people will be spending on infrastructure in the digital world from blockchain to 5G technology to quantum computers 
to nanomaterials and all these things in medicine that are going to help make our lives better. But if it wasn't for that, there would be no real fundamentals, you know, in the marketplace today to actually sustain this kind of debt situation. But fortunately, if you know which pocket of the market to invest in, and as I've said many times on this channel, invest where the capital spending's going. Don't listen to the people on TV that says invest where the money's going. Those are two different things. It sounds the same, but it's not. Uh, yes, it's true. If there's capital spending, there's money going there. But there's also money going to places where there's not capital spending. There's money going to places that it doesn't need to go to because it's either overvalued or it's in unproductive, uh, non-productive parts of the economy. So if you stick to those areas that I just talked about and some of those names that we've mentioned in the past, we'll be in a better place so that when we actually do get to the point where production actually uh, matches demand in the future, then uh, let's put it this way, uh, it will be less painful. But unfortunately, the way the markets work is not everyone is going to be in those pockets of the industry. So at least the people listening in on uh, The Daily Disruptor, I would encourage all listeners to really study deeply on these areas so that you could really empower yourself and understand it so that when you do hear stuff in the media or you read articles, you could actually do some critical thinking around them and say, does that make sense economically? And if it makes sense, then it's a topic that should be reviewed. And if you do come across a topic like that, bring it up to the Daily Disruptor because we love providing feedback and analyzing the world over for opportunities in areas that uh, are fundamentally sound. Hey guys, thanks for listening. So this podcast is for information purposes only. It's not intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for actual investment advice.